Greetings and welcome to Resistance Recovery. Resistance Recovery is dedicated to the exploration of any and all topics related to recovery, spirituality, and culture. Join us as we interview thought leaders working at the edges of cultural transformation. My name is Piers Kanuka, and I'll be your host. Everybody, and it's uh, it's an evening show. My guest is coming all the way from Manila, so uh, this is Philip Fairbanks. I'm very excited to have him, and he is author of a very very remarkable book called Petergate Primer: The Politics of Pedophilia. So this is not going to be a cheerful, airy. <laughs> spiritual show but it's a topic that really uh really needs to be addressed and the way it's being presented uh in the media and pop culture it's um that in itself is pretty strange so so with that uh just a little bit about phil and how you came to to write such a book oh well yeah um you know that's something i i get asked a lot because it's it's uh, it's not a topic people want to think about. It's not a topic anybody wants to dwell on. That's myself included. Uh, and you know, it's it's something I've written about off and on. Uh, you know, I, I I've been I've been publishing for about twenty years now, and uh, the the topic of uh, you know institutional pedophilia and uh, CIA human experimentation. A lot of the really awful uh, stuff that, uh, that I cover in the book is, are, are things that I've covered off and on. Um, but it, it was a completely different, it was a whole different can of worms when it came down to spending several months where day and night, you know, I was focused on this one very depressing, dark topic, uh, which by the way, before I even get into that, I, I, I would urge anybody, if you do end up reading the book, don't be afraid to take breaks. They're short yeah. chapters. Read a chapter or two. Leave it for a few days because mm -hmm. it's you know it doesn't do anybody any. I I, I learned that myself. You, you know it's it's not even mentally and physically healthy to spend all your time uh, dwelling on 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 dark stuff like that. But uh, in my case, um, and uh, yeah, I, I think that everybody knows everybody knows someone who has been sexually abused uh and often when they were a kid um you may not know this because a lot of times people don't talk about it um and i don't know what it is about me apparently i'm easy yeah i'm a good listener um and i have had so many friends uh come to me and and i've heard their stories and uh you know once again i'm a good listener but i don't always know what to say um, but yeah, I, I, you know, once you, you know, several of my exes as well, um, <laughs> two of them were, uh, were abused by their stepdad. Mm -hmm. And I was there in the room when it came time to, cause it's something that they'd never, uh, you know, confronted them about, um, you know, that their own mothers didn't know this story. And, uh, it is not fun to be in that room 
when that discussion takes place. Um, but when you've heard so many of these stories, uh, you know, it, it gets to you, you know? So it's, it's, it's a real issue. It's one that, because it's so dark and depressing, it's so easy to uh, sweep under the rug because people would rather not know. Uh, yeah. I think most people would rather not know how prevalent this stuff is. Um, but well, like I said, it's, it's, important to, it's important to talk about. And, and once you have heard so many stories, it's not something you can just turn your back on. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I do feel really strongly about the topic, but yeah, it, at the same time, like I said, it's not something you can spend, uh, all, all your days and nights on every day. Well, you know, I think it's one of those things too, that it's, um, in culture, in the culture at large traumas, you know, traumas getting its due mm -hmm. and people feel, I've been working in the field of substance abuse for 25 years. So I've. I've watched this change where people become more, uh, they feel safer talking about it. There's less stigma. There's less fear of not being heard, although that stuff's still all there. But when you take the leap, the next step, and start looking at this thing in a, as an institutional phenomenon, mm -hmm. as something that's sort of pervasive and actually organized, that's, that is when you know people really kind of like, whoa. Right. Um, so one of the things I really appreciate about your book is you, you take us back at least a hundred plus years. Mm -hmm. And you also are very careful to show that this is not, uh, you know, a partisan issue. So oh, yeah. uh, one of the things yeah. I really like about the book is that, you know, we live in a time where if you push the, uh, the Epstein envelope a little too far, or if you, God forbid, you say something like Pizzagate, you are obviously some sort of right-wing wacko conspiracy theorist. Right. And I thought that your book was really good that it also gave us the Franklin scandal to- Get his pastor. It's, yeah, it's not a partisan issue. That's, you know, it, it would be so great if we could just, uh, hey, let me see your voter registration. Okay, right. you're not allowed around my kids. Wouldn't that right. be just so convenient? Uh, you know, uh, let me find out what movies you like or, you know, what books you're, it's not like that. It's, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's not necessarily who you would uh, suspect. And it's, it has nothing to do with, uh, you know, uh, what side of the partisan divide you're on. It's, it's definitely, uh, you know, it's, it's pervasive on both sides. Uh, it, you know, I, I, I was going to add an epilogue, uh, of, you know, the, the, it, there's an extraordinary number of, you know, local and, uh, federal level, um, politicians. And, and it's definitely, it's, you know, it, it's pretty much 50, 50 on both sides. Uh, the reason why I didn't add that is because it would have been another like 40 or 50 pages. And it's really just a list. And, you know, uh, you know, I, I, that, that might, you know, well, I'm eventually probably going to do a second, uh, a second edition and I may add that, uh, you know, in, in the second edition, but it's, you know, it, it is, it's, it's uh, mind boggling how many, uh, you know, people in powerful positions and, uh, you know, and like I said, it's, it's not a right wing or a left wing thing. It's, it's, 
I, I, I think a lot of times it's, uh, you know, powerful people, you know, if, if you've got everything, if you've done everything, then what else is there? You know, you can, you can buy every thrill and then you become more and more, you know, immune to every thrill. So you're looking right. for new kicks and new kicks and, uh, you know, you, you start seeking out, you know, uh, more and more taboo stuff. So, right. uh, so you know, I, I do believe that that's why, you, you you know, you get issues like the DuPont guy and Epstein and uh, not, uh, what's his name, Nygaard and, you know, uh, you know multiple incredibly powerful uh, people and influential people uh, have been have been tied into this kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, elite deviance is the term I think of. Maybe in order to give uh, our audience some bearings, we should look at a couple of these, couple of the chapters. I was hoping we could break down one that people don't really hear about that much. Although, you know, just in terms of like kids appearing on milk cartons and, and everyone chaperoning their children, I feel like this case really kind of stands out. It had a big effect indirectly. And that's the whole Franklin cover-up. Mm -hmm. So oh, maybe wow. give yeah. us a kind of a thumbnail on that. Uh, well, you know, uh, I guess we got to start with uh, uh, the, the man at the center of the whole thing, uh, Lawrence, uh, Lawrence King, who uh, was kind of classified as a rising star in the Republican Party. He was very famed for his fundraising, especially. Uh, and, uh, you know, he was, uh, yeah, uh, I think it was the Washington Times was the one that uh, broke the story. Uh, underage sex slaves touring the White House after hours. Right. Um, you know, uh, it, it ended up making uh, national news even on, uh, I can't remember if it was Tom Brokaw or Dan Rather covered this story. Uh, and then it just kind of disappeared. Um, and uh, John W. DeCamp wrote a book. Uh, and, you know, I, I believe his heart was in the right place. Uh, I also, yeah, I, I, I respect the camp. I respect Gunderson. I also think maybe they had a little birdie on their shoulder who was feeding them bad intel because mm -hmm. they knew uh, it's the same thing with whether it's Epstein or Pizzagate or whatever. You know, feed a little false info. That mm -hmm. way you can debunk it, you know? Mm -hmm. No, no, no. See, that one thing is wrong. Therefore, it's all untrue. Um, mm. But Nick Bryant uh, has got a really excellent book uh, on, on, on the story. Um, you know, uh, unless you go to the Wikipedia talk page, uh, they, they, the, the Wikipedia, uh, Wikipedia editors uh, don't take him uh, seriously because, oh, well, he published with Trine Day, which is a small press. And, right. you know, I find it really odd because Vanity Fair interviewed him about uh, the Epstein case and the Franklin scandal. And Vanity Fair is considered a uh, you know, reliable source by Wikipedia. So by the commutative property, you would think that uh, Nick Bryant's work, which once again, it's, it's based on a stack of like CPS documents and uh, uh, stuff that's, that's not in dispute. Um, you know, they, they had uh, lawyers, uh, you know, uh, look over the book and everything. Um, but yeah, it, it starts back in the 80s. Um, you have Lawrence King, uh, who, uh, you know, he's he's got connections to Cl uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, 
um, to, uh, you know, the, the, the Bushes and, uh, you know, really, really powerful people, even though he's just, he's just, you know, uh, a kind of a minor uh, congressman at the time. Um, <clears throat> King was, King was actually a congressman? Yes. Yeah, I believe uh, uh, he may have been just a, a state representative. Yeah. Uh, uh but, uh, but yeah, I don't believe he's not like a senator or anything. He was, uh, you know, kind of a minor figure, except for the fundraising. He was really good at fundraising. And when you know the rest of the story, it, uh, you know, you kind of wonder uh, what all the, the fundraising was going on, you know. Um, you know, a, a lot of the things that, that really stick out to me, like there's the uh, Charlie Rogers, who is uh, the bodyguard. Uh, he's a bodybuilder, uh, he's a bouncer, and he's King's boyfriend. Um, mm -hmm. He died of what's considered a somewhat suspicious suicide at age 29. Uh, shortly before that, he offers his mom uh, some tickets to uh, D.C. Um, and his sister, by the way, says that, you know, uh, she, that he told her that his life is in danger and uh, his mom feels that that whole bit about offering him the tickets, which is, I believe, probably the last trip he would take. Uh, it was, you know, the tickets were offered by King. Uh, uh, she, she thinks that maybe uh, he wanted to say something to his mom, but, you know, just didn't know how to broach the topic. Uh, he also, by the way, he says, you know, hey, you know, if anything happens to me, he tells his sister, Talk to Deputy Attorney Bob Sigler, um, who, you know, Sigler says, oh, I've got no idea why, why my name's brought into this. Um, you know, the, there's uh, uh, multiple folks uh, that are tied into this or potentially tied into this, including Warren Buffett, um, James Allen Flannery, who wrote for the Buffett-owned Omaha World Herald. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Boys Town is at the very center of it. Boys right. Town and the Franklin Credit Union are kind of the center of it. Um, and uh, it, so, I mean, the, 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 the picture I get is that King is a political operative mm -hmm. who can raise a lot of money. We don't know how. A lot of money right. moved through his hands. And he is running some kind of prostitution ring Involving is, kids from Boys Town and and some of some of his own, uh, you know, uh, uh, nieces, uh, like adopted nieces, I guess, because uh, it's a bunch of foster kids and folks at Boys Town. And it, you know what really makes me sick about, you know, it's it's a terrible story, but uh, you know, my my granddad, uh, uh, he spent time at Boys Town when when he was young, and. Throughout his whole life, he continued to donate uh, because he really believed in that cause. Because you know, oh wow, you know that that really helped me at that time. Uh, so you know, it's it's there's something just. I mean, anything involving abuse of a kid is nefarious, but it just somehow makes it so much worse when you're using like a charity or something that's supposedly a good cause, and that's really just a cover for this kind of stuff. Right. Uh, but yeah, but Boys Town at the time, you know, they, they were a big deal. They were, uh, uh, there was a ton of, you know, uh, donations and money uh, uh, circling around this whole thing. Um, 
you know, uh, Nick Bryant compares the case a lot to Epstein because, you right. know, uh, it's a similar case of, you know, all this money coming and nobody being able to account for it. And uh, uh, in fact, he's actually said that it's, it's possible that uh, the Boys Town Franklin scandal thing might have been bigger than Epstein even. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, it was, well, no, it was his uh, cousin, Barbara Webb, and it's her, uh, she's the foster mother of uh, multiple kids who uh, would go to the North Omaha Girls Club meetings and, uh, you know, other functions that uh, uh, were king and other older men, quote, gave her the creeps and uh, they, they said they seemed to salivate over the teenage girls. And, uh, and, and by the way, some of these kids, um, uh, Bonacci, uh, Paul Bonacci is another one of them. You know, they came out and they spoke about this and they, they had the book thrown at it. They were being faced with right. like major perjury charges. Right. Um, and they still refused to back down. Uh, and didn't, didn't Bonacci at a later date win a civil case? Yes, a million dollars. Yeah, yeah, the, the civil case, he was awarded a million dollars of which he never saw a penny, of course. Um, and King himself, uh, you know, even in the Vanity Fair piece where they interview Nick Bryant, they make sure editors note, King was only found guilty of embezzlement. Well, yeah, right. and Dennis Hastert was only sentenced for illegally structuring payments of hush money, not for uh, abusing multiple young boys. That doesn't mean that he wasn't abusing young boys. That just means our system is kind of screwed, isn't it? You right. Know? And so um, basically no one does hard time for this. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the strange footnote of Johnny Gosh. Yeah. 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 The the, the prototypical uh, face on the milk carton. And there's a, you know, there's a documentary who took Johnny. Right. Uh, which is just really sad. You know, his mom spent all this time and effort. Uh, trying to figure out what happened. And at one point, somebody starts sending her pictures of a boy who looks like hers. And he's like, you know, and, and other young boys. And uh, so, you know, uh, was that her son? You know, I, I don't know. Well, well uh, then she, you know, so she lost everybody because she was so pitbull about staying on it you know people say yeah. crazy she lost relationships but then she said johnny an adult johnny for people who don't know the story he got abducted uh delivering papers one morning mm -hmm. and then she says one night an adult johnny did come to see her and um and basically he was one of these kids that was tangentially or directly connected to this whole king uh, network and and Bonacci, uh i believe Bonacci was one of the ones who said oh yeah yeah that is the case that is him no, um, yeah and, you know, that's another one of the another one of the really you know creepy weird unexplained things about this that gary caradori uh who uh ran into rusty nelson who's a convicted child pornographer who's tied to this case um uh, you know, he, he supposedly gets information on uh, how this whole thing is connected to a blackmail ring. Once again, uh, like like Bryant says, it's like an, uh, a template 
for what happened in uh, the Epstein case. Uh, Gary Caridori has got this briefcase full of this information. He's flying his plane. And uh, according to, uh, you know, uh, NTSB or whoever, um, his plane broke apart in the air. He didn't crash. His plane broke apart in the air and stuff strewn all over the place for like, you know, hundreds of feet. And uh, for some reason, that briefcase uh, was not among the wreckage. Go figure. So, you know, whatever, whatever Caridori knew, whatever Caridori had found, uh, you know, that, that reminds me of the case of Danny Casalero, you know, uh, another one of those cases where, you know, maybe it's the man who knew too much. And uh, all we know is he died mysteriously. And whatever happened to those notes, though, you know, right. I don't know. Uh, it seems possible that that's the reason they died. That's that's what we know. We don't know what was in the notes. We know that. The, it might have been worth killing over, though. In uh, another one of the big, uh, the big situations that kind of sticks in my craw is the uh, conspiracy of silence. The Discovery Channel is going to run this documentary that uh, I think it's Yorkshire, uh, England uh, production company has done this whole uh, documentary about the case, and you know they they interviewed John W. DeCamp and others. Um, it's, it's about a two hour long documentary and you can luckily still find it online for now. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it, uh, the whole documentary is put together. It is in the TV guide. It's going to be on so-and-so day. It's so-and-so hour up until that day and hour comes. And for whatever reason, they're just not going to run that documentary now. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, it, it, it does really, really feel like uh, the story was intentionally kind of hushed up. Um, you know, uh, it, it, the, the stuff with Caridori and the documentary really especially makes me, uh, you know, feel like there was a concerted effort to shut this story down. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned uh, MKUltra in one chapter and MKUltra is of course tied to like the Mockingbird program, uh, right. you know, uh, uh, Woodward well, and Bernstein wrote a whole article about uh, CIA ties to the media. So this is it's it's not it's not a big conspiracy that a lot of folks in the media have ties to the security state, and sometimes they they do favors in exchange for inside information. That's that's well, how not, access media works. And not to mention, all of media is owned by four corporations. Exactly. So if they want to exactly. bear this, yeah. Um, before we move on, there's just a couple, you know, you mentioned John DeCamp and, um, and you know, comparing him to Franklin, uh, to um, Bryant. And there, there's two things that really stuck out for me was, or three, I should say, is one, um, DeCamp, you know, you start unpacking his background and it gets kind of weird. And he spoke mm. in his book so favorably about, was it Colby or Casey? Uh, 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 Colby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So William uh, Colby. It was the one, uh, whichever one died mysteriously in yeah. a kayak. <laughs> right. I think it's Colby. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you really got this, you know, at the heart of the story, you've got two figures that have got dirt all over them, really smell right. And then the other thing is that, um, 
the fact that the story was broken by the Washington Times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The moon, the moon newspaper. Right. And then they have all their nefarious dealings around everything from guns dealing to, to drug dealing. And yeah, they were they were involved in blackmail and the like too. That's that's how they got so much. Uh, you know, they got so much sway at the time. Yeah. So, but Bryant, on the other hand, doesn't have any dirt on him, and yet he's the one who, even though they go to him for Vanity Fair, he gets kind of marginalized. So you've got these two stories that kind of bookend the book. You got um, you got the Franklin thing, and then we've got the more contemporary Epstein thing. Um, you've got one associated with the GOP, the other associated with the Democratic Party. You've got fundraising. You've got um, blackmail. So there's this real isomorphic thing between the two stories. Do you feel, having done this research, that in the annals of political power, this is one of the real mechanisms that makes things run, meaning it's kind of like a fraternity, like some Ivy League fraternity and, and Piers and, and Philip are there and we both engage in some god-awful thing together. But down the road, when we do business, I'm not going to say anything because I was there right. and you were there. Right. And, yeah. and in a way, it kind of um, it cements a certain bond. But on the mm -hmm. other hand people who would be whistleblowers or who had the integrity to not engage in those kinds of things are sort of excluded from the game. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah I, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that everyone in a position of power is tied into this kind of thing, but I do, do believe there's kind of an inner cadre that, um, you know, if you, if you look at the uh, skull and bones, for instance, you know, a lot of the founding fathers of the OSS, which became the CIA, um, these are the descendants of the folks who founded the Ivies and the folks that, uh, you know, expanded their fortunes in the Opium Wars. Then they go right. on to be involved in Iran-Contra and, uh, yeah, it, they're drug dealers we know. They're right. drug dealers for 150, 200 years. We know that. So right. yes, I absolutely believe that uh, uh, that they're involved in other really awful things. And uh, as far as the whole fraternity type deal, um, I can't remember which, uh, there was a, a British prime minister who, I remember there was the Black Mirror episode with the pig. I won't go into details, it's really gross. But then it turned out that there was a British prime minister uh, who Ted, was um, engaged in some kind of, what, what's that? His name was Ted. Uh, it'll come to me. I know who you're talking about. It wasn't very. But it, long, there but was a pig involved. Yeah. Yes, it was. He's dead now. Yeah, right. and but, he, uh, he, he was he was very friendly with that uh, the god awful guy who just died, who was the DJ. Oh, uh, uh, Savile. Yeah, he had all these connections to Jimmy Savile. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, what a monster! That's right. Yeah. Well, you know, I gave the example of, um, of the fraternities just sort of by way of example, because I can see even in my industry, to the extent that it's becoming corporate, you start noticing that people that have got, 
you know, they got kind of sketchy things about them are actually doing business with each other. So I feel almost like it's something in corporate culture or political culture now that, you know, it's just kind of the way a lot of business is done. I'm not saying all of it. Right. Um, but then you do the, you know, another place you can see this is your chapter on Hollywood. Oh, yeah. And so oh, yeah. it's the same dynamic, isn't it? Pay to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in uh, this, once again, obviously doesn't mean that everybody who's a politician or everyone who ends up in Hollywood is a monster, but certainly some of the most uh, influential and some of the big movers and shakers. I do believe that part of the reason why they got there and stayed there was because they're controllable. And one of the ways that they're controllable is, you know, they've been compromised in some way. And one of the best ways, uh, you know, it's, there are certain taboos that cross all cultures, you know, um, and uh, a, abuse of a child is one of those, you know, cannibalism isn't something that every culture agrees is bad. Child right. abuse pretty much, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, now, now, what everybody decides is child abuse is different. Like there's the one culture that does the uh, scarification uh, with the alligator ritual. But I would argue that in their mind, that's not abuse. They're making the kids stronger, whatever. But the, the point is intentionally harming a child for your own pleasure is always looked down upon by pretty much every culture throughout history. It's something people have a knee jerk gut reaction to. Um, you know, and, and it's psychological, you know, um, whether it's uh, uh, it, baby animals and baby humans, people find them cute. And, and, and there's a psychological factor to like the, the way they sound and look that neoteny it's called, right? Uh, mm -hmm. the, the, the neotenous appearance, the youthful appearance and, and uh, you know, the high pitched voice. This is stuff that triggers a response in humans. Uh, where, where we're like, oh, I want to protect that. I don't want to see harm come to that. So yeah, if you can override that uh, by use of, you know, uh, either where innately someone's got like a switch flipped or, you know, they, they've decided to, you know, I would call it selling your soul. Uh, if you get to a position where it's like, hey, listen, you know, we're going to give you everything you want. Uh, but you got to do these awful things and then we're going to hold them over your head. You know, whether you believe in Satan or not, that is selling your soul. Whether you believe in a soul or not, that's selling well, your soul, in my opinion. And it's the ultimate blackmail material. Exactly. Because then you were under their thumb for good. Uh, who are you going to tell? Because you're right. just telling on yourself at that right. point. Yeah. And you can't you can't really blackmail a billionaire for money, but you can with this <laughs> stuff. Right, yeah. exactly, because that will ruin you. Yeah. yeah. So now we're in deep psychological water where you've got apparently two things going on, maybe three, where you've got people who are being um, coerced or bribed or whatever to transgress that taboo you talked about, mm -hmm. to really go against the, the sort of core taboo. And then you've obviously seem to have other people who having transgressed that taboo, they are, they acquire an appetite for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine that a lot of these people can begin 
fully within the realm of the taboo and then eventually get to a place where the thrill of violating the taboo and the money and all that stuff, you know, takes over. Mm -hmm. So the, the, this is, this is like this next layer that is really hard for people to get their head around, which is that there are um, brilliant people engaged in that transformation and mm -hmm. you know that we call this mk ultra and all that but i felt that the the most provocative <laughs> frankly disturbing chapter in your book that went into that was the finders oh wow yeah so yeah and and the finders was that just a few years after franklin or was that uh, that was right around the same time because both are happening around 87 ish um yeah. you know I, I i don't know which was first off the top of my head but i know that both were in play around 87 um in the bush one administration yeah yeah, yeah. exactly right yeah. yeah yeah and uh to um you know a, a lot of people give reagan a lot of hell I am pretty sure Reagan was just an actor in a cowboy hat. You know, he was, he was, uh, oh, howdy, folks. I'm yeah. the president. No, no, George Bush, who for some reason was head of the CIA for one year without ever working with the CIA, without ever working with the CIA. Mm -hmm. they, they've just made him the, we're going to make you the head of it now. Mm -hmm. You know, that usually doesn't happen. Um, yeah, there's there's so much dirt uh, uh, on the Bushes. They are uh, an incredibly corrupt political dynasty. Uh, you know, just based on what's verifiable, like the Iran Contra and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, while while that's all going on, we've got uh, uh, both the Franklin scandal and the Finders cult. The the Finders cult, by the way. Um, you know, uh, uh, people talk about the the so-called satanic panic. And, you know, I, I, I tend to upset people on both sides of that divide. If you believe in the satanic panic, I don't go far enough. Uh, if you think it's bunk, I, I, I accept too much of it. Like with the finders cult, I've gotten in arguments with people. I do not believe they were a satanic cult. Why? Because there's no sat like, okay, well, but what they were doing is literally satanic, right? But, mm -hmm let's let's you know let's be accurate did they mention satan no? no okay then let's not call it satanism per se right uh, in fact i don't think there was even so much an occult angle to it it was definitely cultic there were there were weird games and rites and you know uh there was a psychological element to it an element of you know uh, the 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 it, they called uh marion petty the game the game caller because it was all about mind games, basically. Um, right. Before we keep going, let's just give the audience an outline of the story. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, it, it starts in, I guess, Tallahassee. We've got a, a case where uh, some police uh, find a van, and there are two guys, uh, you know, dressed fairly well, uh, you know, dressed like, you know, businessmen or whatever and they are uh in a in a filthy van uh full of what are described by the police as feral children um 
And, uh, you know, the kids showed some signs of, you know, neglect and abuse. Um, there was, uh, you know, once, once the two men are arrested, uh, then, then we've got, you know, uh, warrants uh, for, for three different locations or uh, two different locations, uh, you know, one in DC and I think in Maryland. Uh, and, and then from there, uh, we find, you know, so much more. There are, you know, telex documents that involve, you know, talking about uh, selling children to Hong Kong. There, uh, you know, there are weird pictures with uh, everybody's in robes and they're playing with goat entrails. And, you know, that's where people get, well, see, look, it's animals. Right. But right. they didn't, you know, they didn't say right. hail Satan. So I wouldn't call that satanism is it is it cultic uh yes you know but it, I, I wouldn't call it you know uh satanic per se because you have to call yourself a satanist to be a satanist in my mind uh and and, and you know i i try to be really careful in the book because people will try and well look you got one thing wrong so everything you said is wrong yeah uh, that's right in this right. climate especially especially yeah 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 and yeah, especially you, on a topic like this that people just don't want to believe. Uh, right. But but yeah, so DC DC uh, uh, police raid a warehouse and then customs is called in. It suddenly become you know you know they say well don't make a federal case out of it. It has suddenly become a federal case. Um, and uh, from here on, the FBI are called in to the locations, and uh, you know from all accounts. They did a very cursory run through, uh, you know, didn't seem to be very interested in finding anything. Um, yeah, another really odd thing about the story, by the way, Patch Adams, you right. know, the, nice. the the clown, the clown that Robin Williams did the movie about that has the, you know, children's hospital. Yeah. Uh, he comes out and he's like, no, I know Marion Petty and those are good guys. They wouldn't hurt a kid which I'm sorry, but like all of a sudden, I don't trust Patch Adams anymore. You know, no, well, some people don't trust Robin Williams anymore. As well. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I've, I've, I've heard some rumors that, uh, you know, apparently, uh, you know, he was uh, he was pretty, pretty hard on the uh, uh, coke and the hard drugs. And yeah. even he admitted that there is a lot of stuff in those days that he's ashamed of. Uh, and I do wonder if his suicide might have mm -hmm. been connected to, you know, some shame at some things that he did that he can never take back. Uh, you know, what those things are, I don't want to speculate on it because I don't have, uh, you know, I don't have any evidence to speculate based on that. No, but, but uh, that, that connects us, you know, that is a Hollywood connection. Mm -hmm. And the, the things that struck me so that are so bizarre to me about the case is the description of some of the children as being pretty much feral. Right. They don't really even have command of basic skills, language. They didn't, they didn't know who their parents were. Mm -hmm. They didn't know what a phone was. Uh, they, they talked about how they were um, given food as a reward. They were mm -hmm. given food as a reward. One, one of the things that I think tipped off the cops, by the way, um, they had uh, showed up to a place and needed to use a shower 
And so they offered to do some work for these people in order to borrow their showers so they and the kids could uh, get cleaned up. And apparently those folks are like, okay, that is weird. We've got two guys in like business suits and a bunch of kids that don't seem to know anything about the world and, you know, what's going on in that filthy van, you know? Uh, yeah, and then you add to that, I don't remember exactly how it came up, but there was this this uh, story or whatever, this narrative that they were going to be taken to, I believe, a special a school. A gifted school. Mexico. Right, so yeah, yeah. Children. These are special children. Right, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. I, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm in a hurry to get to Mexico, I always go via Tallahassee <laughs> because that's the quickest wait a minute no that doesn't even make any sense yeah they said they were headed to mexico uh from dc by way of tallahassee i don't know maybe they needed to stop at cuba first that's another odd thing about this story apparently some of the folks had passport stamps for places that civilians should not be able to go um you know uh i think i think maybe iran was on the list uh some uh, at least one or two places behind the iron curtain um, and Marion Petty, the games caller himself, uh, his wife and son uh, have connections to the security state. And he had apparently been studying the CIA is, uh, is I think, how he characterized it. Um, uh, but yeah, the, you know, the, there's, there's a lot that I don't think we'll ever really know uh, uh, about that whole case. And well, didn't this story get quashed even quicker than the Franklin cover-up? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because it, it it made it made some waves briefly, and then all of a sudden, th this is what should have made it worldwide news for a year until we got to the bottom of it. And then the CIA says, "Oh, um, actually, this is no longer a federal case." Uh, customs, FBI, please stand down. This is an internal investigation. Yeah. Whoa. Right. Internal investigation implies that these people work for the CIA. They said that apparently in the finders, kind of like the Hale Bach people, they were apparently uh, techies. They were early techies. Uh, and uh, the CIA claims that they had uh, been, th that they had contracted with them and uh, that they were a, uh, you know, subcontractor who had gone rogue or gone bad or whatever. Um, and, you know, uh, that alone should have, should have blown the story up rather than, than silenced it. But once again, like, like with the finders, uh, with the, the Franklin case, just the fact that all this could go on and then the next day it's, you know, poof, gone, gone from the news cycle. And uh, that alone makes 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 it very suspicious to me. Didn't a couple years ago a bunch of this information get released finally? Yeah, the FBI FBI released like uh, somewhere between like 250 and 350 uh, pages of documents. Which uh, oh boy, I, I I had a lot of fun pouring over those. And uh, have you ever heard of the Tetris effect? This is something I learned about while I was writing the book. I spent so much time reading FOIA documents that when I would sleep, um, <laughs> when I wasn't having night terrors or insomnia because of how disturbing these topics are, I would I would have dreams and I would see like you know uh, like redacted 
uh, you know, a text with redactions. It was, it was bizarre. Like at night, I would literally dream of FOIA documents. So, uh, you, but this, yeah, heavily they were heavily redacted. Yeah, yeah, a lot of it was, but a lot of the documents were not as, not nearly as redacted as they had been just a few years before that. Because a lot of the stuff that was in the FBI vault had already been released um, in, in some form, but was slightly less redacted. But yeah, some of the stuff was still uh, redacted and things. You know, I to this day, I would really love to get, I think it was Harold Abramson, who is one of the guys involved in the customs and uh, the Tallahassee cop. Um, you know, I would love to get a chance, to, uh, if, if I could ever get a hold of those guys, I would love to pick their brains because I bet that, the, you know, I just get the feeling that uh, there's a lot to this story that, that you know, was never really, uh, it never really got out there. Um, well, it and, seems like there's a strategy, you know, I'm just sort of thinking out loud here that whether it's <clears throat> Franklin or hell, you could even put Jack Kennedy in there or Iran Contra or Finders that there seems to be a strategy where you have to let a decade or two elapse. Right. And in that time, there's going to be a fair bit of disinformation. Um, there's going to be a, you're going to cast aspersions on anybody who's interested in these stories, especially the older the story gets. The older the story gets, the more you are going to wear the moniker of being a whacked out conspiracy, conspiracy theorist. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, then later on, more comes out. But by now, people have forgotten the news cycle. People have died. People have disappeared. Um, yeah. So what do you think about those folks who say that um, MKUltra never really ended? I, you know... I, I, this is something I've been talking about with some people. Uh, who, who, people are talking about Havana syndrome, right? Right. Um, and uh, the the whole thing about Havana syndrome, it reminds me of you know, okay, it's it's the fifties, and we've got the Korean War going on, and we're like, oh look, people are being brainwashed. So there's this technology involving mind control. So we better get some too. And right. I, I, I fear that Havana syndrome, uh, whether it's a foreign, uh, a foreign power doing it, or once again, if you've read enough MK Ultra documents, we know that the CIA is, is you know, uh, not shy about uh, Frank Olson. You know, they dosed him with acid and pushed him out of a window. You know, right. they're more than willing to experiment on their own people on U.S. civilians, on foreign civilians, on, uh, you know, enlisted uh, men and women, uh, on children. Um, so well, it the reason now what it would be would be, you know, um, mind, mind warfare or psyops that we have to we have to be in on this game because of the Chinese or perhaps mm -hmm. the Russians. And yeah. Which is interesting because I recently read something. I wish I could remember where that they were saying that uh, uh, Soviet research into you know the occult and mind control and all that 
might have been to get the U.S. to waste money. <laughs> well, yeah, or that it was far yeah. less than than we we promoted it to be. We needed that we needed that boogeyman to justify our own programs. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, like I said, I I, I don't know if uh, if there's truth to the uh, Russian psy research or if the North Koreans were really brainwashing people. I do know, however, that like in the case of MK Ultra, these experiments were already going on. Uh, you know, the Nazis did similar experiments in World War II, but uh, some of their research was based on stuff uh, like what was uh, Wendell Johnson at the University of Iowa, the monster experiment in 1939, G.H. Uh, yeah. who who experimented with trauma training because they wanted to be able to uh, induce a trauma in someone. Uh, Candy Jones was the victim. Uh, they wanted to be able to induce a trauma in someone so that they could cause a fissure, a dissociation in their mind so that they could use like a hypnotic trigger. Uh, that the idea was, what if we could have a spy who had information that couldn't be tortured out of them? You have to have the code word, which suddenly, you know, a, a, a switch goes off and then they repeat off whatever they need to say or whatever. Well, so, well um, speaking of that, you know, what do you make of them releasing the person who they thought was most likely the most famous instance of that, the recent release or, or pending release of Sirhan Sirhan? Sirhan Sirhan. You know, I don't know. Um, I, I, I will tell you this, and this is another one of those bits where uh, uh, people will possibly think I'm a wacko, but, um, you know, it's, I, I'm half Jordanian and my biological father was falah falah okay so well, there's something about a jordanian christian with a first name and last name that's the same that i'm instantly gonna be like okay hold on is this guy what they say he is and yeah from what i looked into I, th there's just way too much about that story the ballistics uh you know there were there were more shots fired than he had in his gun uh you know, post about a dress yeah yeah, uh, Thomas Noguchi, the coroner, uh, you know, he uh, uh, he determined that, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Bobby Kennedy was shot from behind, not from in front. So it does seem possible that, and, and you know, the thing about like mind control or whatever, uh, I don't think it's always as in-depth as people think. Like if the, the, the Sirhan Sirhan bit, the, the idea is that he was used as a distraction. So you mm. got a guy who's hypnotized to stand there and shoot his gun. And mm. so everybody is looking at the one guy yelling and shooting a gun so they mm. won't notice somebody uh, surreptitiously and discreetly, uh, you know, shooting from behind. Uh, and yes, there was the, the woman in the polka dot dress and another guy, that same woman was possibly seen with Sirhan Sirhan on the range, uh, on the firing range. Uh, there was the fact that he supposedly did this because uh, he was upset that Bobby Kennedy uh, was going to be pro-Israel. No, uh, Bobby Kennedy was, you know, that... Th that doesn't make any sense, especially when you consider the fact that anyone who knows Sirhan Sirhan says he was not political. Yeah. Um, so there's just way too much about that story that doesn't make sense. There, there was at least another person firing 
uh, a weapon. And considering the fact that the LAPD lost the door and hundreds of photos of, of the crime scene uh, were destroyed, you know, well, now the hotel there was is gone. way too much. There was way too much evidence that just went missing. Right. Uh, that 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 would have. And, and even with all that evidence missing, we do know just from you know hearing that there were more shots fired than he had in his gun. That uh, that there were at least two different calibers of guns used. Uh, so we at least know somebody else was shooting a gun uh, right. at the same time as Sirhan Sirhan. And yes, the ballistics don't match. But for whatever reason, that stuff doesn't make it into the mainstream. Um, well, no, and, and yet, and also on top of all that, you know, because it'll make it into the alt press every year on the anniversary mm -hmm. of the assassination. But the fact that they're going to, they feel, is it confident enough to release him? And they're also I making noise about, point, they're going to release Hinckley too. Yeah, yeah, he's already released, I believe, because he did... Uh, he's got a YouTube channel and he's writing music and playing a song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it is, it is kind of weird that like, you know, Hinkley just released and now Sirhan Sirhan. Um, I think they, they did let, uh, I think it was, uh, Chapman. I think they let Chapman out for a brief time and then they caught him like in a bookstore reading about his own crimes. And they're like, no, you're going back in the cage. Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, it, it is kind of weird. I, I do believe, though, at this point, uh, and, and I think it's it's heartbreaking to me because I do believe that Sirhan Sirhan was innocent. Uh, I don't. Oh think yeah, no, I think he's that, a really though. tragic figure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. At this yeah. point, I you know because he's asking for forgiveness of the uh, of the surviving of of the you know uh, of the uh, of Bobby's kids and you know. Uh, and that, some of them, really some of them think he's innocent, and some don't. Right? Yeah. RFK this, was, Jr. this was this was very yeah. similar to um, the King family saying that James Earl Ray was right. mm -hmm. innocent. Yeah, on his yeah. Right. Which, interestingly enough, that was that dovetailed so much with the uh, Princess Di's death that it overshadowed mm -hmm. it in the news cycle. Um, I remember that happening. Oh, wow. So that, so, I, yeah, I didn't know that that was at the same time. That, wow. So uh, something I'm curious about is because you, you're in this, it's a pretty, I don't know, it's, a, it's not a small community. Um, do people, other writers and researchers and armchair researchers, are, are they always reaching out to you? Are you always in dialogue with people and getting... Somewhat, more. yeah, yeah, especially, um, you know, especially more so, I'd say definitely more so since I've written the book and, you know, appeared on some podcasts. It, I, I absolutely love that, by the way. I, you know, I love comparing notes with people uh, who are interested in the same kind of, you know, I, I would call them niche topics. I do not consider myself a conspiracy theorist, by the way. I prefer the term parapolitical researcher well, I do too. Uh, because but, but you can't help that you're going to get lost in there yeah of course yeah. people are going to call me that despite the fact that i try to be so painstaking about now this is a fact and 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 then occasionally i'll be like and if you look at that it suggests that this might be possible i don't say 
you know, I don't say something is so unless it's been verified uh, no. and the verification is uh, is from what I've seen valid. And, and I don't just take, well, this source says it's so. I like to, well, okay, where did this source get their information and check that because that's, yeah. that's what no. you got to do with this kind of stuff. I, I think, and I think that's very evident in your work and I really appreciate that. Well, thank the, you. The, the two, the two fellow travelers who, who I think of when I, after reading the book, um, one is our, our common hero, Dave McGowan. You, you, right. you mentioned him and I think you do justice oh, yeah. to his, to his legacy. Oh, um, but the you. other is um, Jason Horsley. You're mm. actually, have you read him? You know, uh, I may have read some uh, brief pieces. I haven't read full books, but yes, I've definitely come across the name several times. Yeah. Because he, he what he does is he goes into, um, he's really interesting. So culturally what he'll do is he'll look at things like the way that, um, um, now I can't even think of the word, uh, eugenics was largely a uh, left-wing thing. It was, you know, yeah. it was Bertrand and Russell Sanger and, and, yeah. and Margaret Sanger and all that. And then he looks at the way that stuff dovetailed with the sexual revolution, mm -hmm. with Kinsey and all that. Yeah. And then how rock and roll shows up and, you know, really women really got exploited through this, you know, right down to the dead lyrics of, you know, we can share the women, we can share the wine. Mm -hmm. And how in, 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 in the popular mind of the 60s, the sexual revolution was somehow equivalent to the civil rights movement, which when you step back and look at that, that's patently absurd. Yeah. And then he starts doing something not unlike what you do when you're in the section on NAMBLA, but he mm -hmm. starts looking at once we start, you know, it's okay to have for a 50 year old man to be having sex with a teenage woman, you're, you're just, you know, you're, you're just inches away from endorsing pedophilia. Right. So there's that cultural piece that I feel like um, needs to get fleshed out around with this. I mean, Hollywood does that to a degree, but I got to tell you the, the thinker that you turned me on to that seems most remarkable in this is uh, Francis Stoner Saunders. Oh, yes. Oh, wow. The cultural Cold War. Yeah, yeah, could you, yeah. Could you just tell us a little bit about her? Because I feel like she is, like, neglected. Like Absolutely. Yes, I totally agree. Um, you know, it's it's uh, this is another one of those things that when it comes to, like, you know, some of the circles I run with online, like in Twitter and things, uh, you know, there's, of course, your different... Uh, you know, there's a lot of people who are interested in the same stuff, but not all of us agree uh, on a lot of things just because we're interested in the same topics. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and one of the things that a lot of people get really upset about, uh, I think they don't want to believe it, is uh, the influence and impact that the CIA had on fine art and literature. Um, you know, whether it's uh, the Paris Review, uh, the Kenyon Review, um, you know, a lot of the the most important, uh, you know, uh, literary magazines 
and uh, art galleries. Uh, you know, there was the uh, Congress for uh, Congress for Congression or uh, uh, Congress for Cultural Freedom, the CCF. They also had, you know, they changed their name a couple of times, uh, but it was always kind of a similar iteration on the, that same theme. Uh, but the CCF, which, um, you know, by the way, Vladimir Nabokov's brother uh, and others are involved uh, in, in this whole thing. Um, but uh, part of the idea was, um, you know, the, the, the book she wrote, The Cultural Cold War, that's, that's literally kind of what it is. Um, you know, we had the space race going on. Uh, we had the nuclear arms race going on. Uh, but what people don't hear about is the culture race. Um, uh, uh, abstract expressionism, for instance, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that uh, Jackson Pollock and Willem de Kooning were feds. No, they had no idea that the CIA was propping them up, that the CIA was paying this gallery and that the and that, that publication, that really hoity-toity publication that was giving them rave reviews uh, had ties to the CIA. I, uh, I believe that if these folks did know that, they probably wouldn't have, you know, they wouldn't have co-signed that. Um, now, some of them, however, uh, there's another book that's uh, along the same line, Joel Whitney's Finks. Uh, and he suggests that some of the folks, like some of the uh, you know, writers and editors, especially who were involved in the whole culture wars thing. Some of them did know to some extent, uh, and 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 were kind of um, you know uh, Douglas Valentine, who you've interviewed. Uh, that was a great interview, by the way. He refers to him as the the compatible left. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. Uh, so I think that there were a lot of these people who had galleries. And uh, they were editors of the top literary and art publications, and they were members of what would be called, or what what he called, the compatible left. You know, they were, uh, you know, anti-socialist, anti-communist uh, liberals who uh, were more than willing to, you know, accept a little money from the CIA, or well, not from the CIA from a group that's receiving money through, you know. Right, uh, and, you know, and they probably believed it was the merits of their art right. that that money to Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and in a sense, in some ways, I mean, you know, uh, I don't think they would have propped up some of the folks that they didn't think would make it, that wouldn't be influential. So yeah. in a yeah. sense, maybe that's, that's true to some extent, for sure. Uh, but yeah, absolutely, it's... Uh, you know, I, I think that just like really shakes people's, uh, uh, you know, foundations on every, it, it's the same thing as, you know, you mentioned McGowan, the weird yeah. scenes, weird oh, scenes yeah. inside the canyon. Uh, when you start to realize, wait a minute, so you're telling me that so many of the central figures of uh, the so-called, you know, hippie and psychedelic rock music were the children of the elite, were the children of, you know, high intelligence ranking operatives. intelligence. Yeah, yeah exactly. You, well, you know, you know, uh, but the thing of that is, is with McGowan, you tell me that, you know, drugs and Laurel Canyon and Manson's in the middle of it. it it's, you know, it, I can digest it. It might take me a little while, it might get stuck here. <laughs> but when you tell me that the highbrow culture 
you know, the, the like you say, the de Koonings yeah, and the Pollocks yeah, and, right. yeah. and all that, that they're being. And, and so does my question is, because I haven't read Saunders, I've only perused it. Does she talk about a certain value set that gets promoted um, like like American individualism or or a kind of a hedonism or anti-formalism does she ever get into certain values that are getting promoted yeah yeah it, it uh, yeah I do believe that uh, you know the there were uh, it, it wasn't just the fact that they could be influential but they also you know fit certain criteria that they did want to advance uh, specifically for the culture war. It wasn't just about showing that, look, uh, the USSR doesn't have modern art. They're, right. you know, they're stuck in the 19th century and we are so much more culturally advanced. And that wasn't enough. They also wanted, you know, uh, it to fit a certain rubric. Uh, and, you know, uh, I don't believe in, in uh, uh, you know, it's been a while since I've read the book, but yeah, uh, uh, if I recall, Saunders doesn't suggest that some of the, you know, central figures, the artists and whatnot, they, you know, like I said, Jackson Pollock and William de Kooning didn't know they were being used as tools. Uh, they just fit the rubric. They, they fit both criteria that, okay, we can use them to show that we're culturally superior and they fit this whole, uh, you know, the, the compatible left, uh, they, their, their politics aren't too scary. And, uh, it, and, and it does, you know, the uh, American exceptionalism and also some of the, like the uh, postmodernism and the, you know, right, everything's right. relative and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I, I'll admit, you know, when, when I was in my teens and twenties, uh, I was, Full on beatniks and the hippie. Ca I, I was into the counterculture. I yeah, was so into the counterculture. And then, mm -hmm. like I said, as by the time I get to about my mid twenties, and I'm like, "Whoa, some of these folks are real sickos." I, I loved William S. Burroughs yeah. and Allen Ginsberg, but you know, they're, uh, pretty, they're pretty bad. Yeah, they're yeah. I, I don't know how I overlooked like. How, it's, well, that, it's because that, I was a kid, you know? I didn't yeah. get that, like, how bad it was that these dirty old men are openly talking about their lust for children. Yeah. Uh, it, it just didn't click for some reason. I'm like... No, I, I had the same thing. Like, I, you know, I can remember... I mean, I did really weird shit, like tripping on acid and reading Aleister Crowley out loud. Yeah. You know? And... Uh, so, the, yeah, I think there is something really shocking when uh, this is where you might like Horsley's latest book, 16 Maps of Hell, because he really takes down some icons like his mm -hmm. when he digs into what was going on with Leonard Cohen. Oh, oh my wow. God. Another MK Ultra uh, victim. Actually, he he technically like uh, like Kaczynski, he signed up uh, yeah. as, oh, as yeah. a volunteer. And, and, yeah. 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 That's right. And um so this, what, what you, what, I mean, you probably experienced this is, so my, my own taste and my own literary and artistic and musical heroes mm -hmm. get taken down. But the more I look at it, they weren't really hiding anything. 
No, that's what it, exactly. And it's like, how did I not see this? Yeah, it's like, like so bad. They, they were, I, I, I don't know. It's like, oh, no, that's, they're just saying that. They're just saying that right. to be, uh, you right. know, it's, oh, we're just, uh, you know, right. get trying to uh, burst down the walls of the conformity yeah. of the 50s. They, they uh, aren't really, no, no, they're really stuff. into that. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. really into that. Take them at their word. Yeah, so what I think what that does is it starts opening up something that I don't think, I don't feel like the parapolitical, I mean, I feel like the parapolitical world has matured because, you know, I've been, kind of been in it for 20 odd years. And now people are finally beginning to get a little reflexive. They're getting a little reflexive like anthropologists are, meaning, oh, shit, I too am a victim of mind control. Mm -hmm. And so, so much about this research is so fascinating. It's about kind of undoing your own, uh, it's about, it's, it really it gives you a different narrative about your own life if you get into your own taste and behaviors and, and things like that. Yeah, like for me, like I said, the whole counterculture trip, uh, you know, a lot of it started with uh, John Lilly and Tim O'Leary, which led to Robert right. Anton Wilson, which led to Aleister Crowley. And then it's, and it is, it's uh, Christopher Hyatt and uh, Dr. Hyatt had the book about undoing your mind. And that's what it was about. It was about, okay, you know that personality you had? Nah. Now we've got a new personality for you, kid, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and I bought into it wholeheartedly. I believed in it. I wanted to be part of this cool thing that was gonna, cause it's saving the world. This well, it's so interesting because the it, world. it's being marketed. The, 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 they know that an, uh, uh, a dumb adolescence, adolescent full of hormones is gonna be primed. But that's also the same group of people that are getting victimized. Yeah. You know, it's really quite powerful when you think about it. Because you couldn't pull that off with a 30-year-old who's, you know, graduated college and right. works a 40-hour-a-week job. He's going to... Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they caught me when I was an idealistic, you know, barely pubescent kid. And that's when I got into the whole bohemian thing around, you know, 13, 14 is when... Uh, you know, I discover who Ginsburg is and, you know, it actually started with guys like Oscar Wilde, really, uh, right. you know, but, but I would say Oscar Wilde is a prototypical counterculturalist himself, you know, oh, no doubt. Uh, no doubt. And, and, and yeah, I, I, I fell for the whole thing, hook, line and sinker. I wanted to believe in it. Um, you know, I was, uh, when I was 20 years old, I published, uh, Gonzo lives underground in the uh, SUNY art journal after image and you know my own my one and only ever peer-reviewed publication and it is embarrassing to reread that as a almost 40 year old and I'm like the counterculture is cool guys and it's gonna save the world man and like yeah it's totally a kid who's not old enough to drink yet explaining to you squares what's really up yeah yeah uh and it, yeah it's definitely it's a little embarrassing to look back on and but what's weird is i i can't say that like uh i, I still dig a lot of those guys the the music and the writers oh, yeah no i, I do still too, dig a lot of them you know I I, I, I I read them a bit differently now yeah. and 
And some of them, uh, some of the stuff is kind of disturbing where I don't want to read it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but yeah, you know, I, it, it had an effect on me that, that will linger, uh, you know, and, and I don't think it was even all necessarily negative. I sort of feel like it was a positive thing that I went through that considering the fact I managed to come out through the other end, you know, because I was able to see from the inside. Yeah, uh, that's true. And I think yeah. that gives you a certain skill set, a certain capacity for analysis. But what, what I often wonder is how organic any of it really was. You know, so I, I was very much plugged into the, uh, the whole grunge scene around Olympia and Seattle. And I was literally in, in that thick of that when it, when it blew up. <laughs> and at the time, I bought into this whole idea that this was this really sort of um, organic blues chords coming back and it's anti-consumerist it's anti-establishment yeah yeah yeah. but then you know of late i've been talking to a lot of friends from that time and you know there's something this is in light of reading laurel canyon you know some of those players were also from wealthy families in dc yeah some of them were very um apolitical and they kind of made fun of you if you took a political stance. Um, Mm -hmm. The hedonism definitely tended towards a kind of nihilism. And you think about that. So you got this cultural movement that has, potentially has kind of a a activist bent, but then you've got, you know, Microsoft and the emerging neoliberal thing happening and and, uh, digital world coming online. And it, to have something like a nihilistic, hedonistic, heroin culture, mm. you know, that really, it's the same thing over again. It, it, it nips it in the bud. Yeah, the, the, the whole, you know, I'm, I'm, I refer to myself as kind of a geriatric millennial because I'm right there on the cusp of Gen X. Uh, so I do, you know, a lot of the same, like, you know, cultural touchstones, the grunge and alternative scene. I was totally into that stuff, uh, you know, as a, as a teen. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the Gen X culture, one of the things that kind of exemplifies the Gen X culture is whatever, who cares, you know, right. like it was, right. it was this disaffected, um, the idea of being hip and cool meant you didn't care too much and you no, weren't going to try right. too hard yeah. because that would be selling out. Right. right. Yeah. You have to have this ironic posture. Yep. Exactly. You be, yeah. You can't be passionate. Not in any no. real sense, only in the decadent sense. Yeah. Well, this has been fantastic. Um, where, where is Phillips research going now? Well, uh, you know, at the moment, uh, unfortunately, I had a, uh, I had a terrible spinal injury in January. Um, Public service announcement, be careful with the massage. I I had a a massage and they said, uh, you want me to get your neck? And then my whole body goes numb and I was in a wheelchair for a few weeks and then it took me months to 
uh, a bag and borrow, you know, I had to go fund me and then I had to borrow a bunch of money on top of that before I could get surgery. Um, so that, you know, 2020, 2021 has been a bust for me. It was an entire wash, which really sucks because the first book came out in November. Uh, I've got a second book that was, uh, you know, the, the first book, I couldn't afford to have it edited. It's got some grammar and typo issues that I'm going to be fixing and uh, resubmitting the draft. Uh, but the first book, I, I, I was able to, or the second book, uh, I was able to get uh, professionally edited. But I told my editor, uh, you know, back at the first of the year, I'm like, hey, you know, I know you got a few dozen pages left, put this on hold. Uh, I can't do anything with it right now anyways. So, uh, you know, I told them to go ahead and get that finished. So I've got a second book that we'll hopefully be uh, doing revisions on uh, soon. Meanwhile, at the same time, um, uh, Panogate Primer is an extended version of the, uh, uh, of the next book that's coming out. And uh, uh, like there was a chapter in uh, it's a uh, uh, deep state uh, penetrating uh, the veils of the unelected shadow government, which is very sensationalist title. Uh, and and it, I know I'm going to get a lot of people who uh, are expecting something like MAGA pro Trump kind of stuff. And they're going to be really upset. Um but, you know, uh, I, I want to reclaim that term, you know, Peter Dale Scott and uh, oh, yeah, and no, Tunander, that's, that's so deeply. Uh, yeah, yeah I, 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 I'm not going to let people steal the term deep state. Yeah, uh, I, I want to reclaim that. So, yeah, uh, the deep state book will hopefully uh, be ready for revision soon. And in the meantime, um, one of the chapters in the Pedogate, it's, it's like the Russian nesting dolls, right? One of the chapters in Pedogate Primer, um, the False Memory Syndrome fin Foundation chapter yes. is now being expanded. Uh, and I won't go into too many, uh, too many details, but I am in touch with some people on both sides of that divide, um, including, uh, you know, some members of the foundation and, and, you know, I, I, I will say this, uh, not to give too much away, but I kind of had an idea of what I thought the False Memory Syndrome Foundation was and was about. Uh, I had this idea that the, it's a monstrous organization who does terrible things. And I believe I'm only about half right there. <laughs> there were some awful, terrible people involved. And then there were some people who just really believed in the science and, and, and I'm also, once again, kind of like with the satanic panic stuff, I will probably alienate and piss off people on both sides of the divide of the memory wars, because number one, yes, I believe that there's memory dissociation, et cetera. I think that there's evidence for that. And I will show, you know, academic research that backs me up uh, yep. and will be talking to some people who are academics who, uh, who agree with that standpoint. But at the same time, I agree with Elizabeth Loftus and the idea that the memory is infallible. And, uh, you know, uh, Professor Ross Chait's book, uh, The Witch Hunt Narrative, I think that's kind of a model for what I'm doing because I think he does a great job of showing uh, that, yeah, there was a witch hunt, but that doesn't mean that it was all false. That's you know? right. We definitely need more both and 
We yeah. really do yeah. because they'll use they'll use one thing to discredit another, and then the mm -hmm. dialogue breaks down. It's it's important to me to show both sides. I, everybody's biased, but you need to be able to recognize your own biases. Like if you if you're gonna do research. Uh, like this and write about topics like this, you really need to examine your own biases because otherwise you're not doing your own side any favor. If no. you try and paint things uh, favorable, favorable to your side by leaving out details or, oh, you know, yeah. I don't or, want to see or that. Or unwittingly, to... unwittingly having strange bedfellows. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. One thing, just by way of just me thinking out loud again, a lot of this stuff, you know, it would be really, really, really helpful. Hmm. Diagrams. Oh yeah. Yeah. Putting people tracking these relationships. It's um, because Have after a while it's like reading, it's like reading Dostoevsky. You can't remember. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, have you heard of Maltigo? There's, uh, it's an open source intelligence tool that's, um, it's sort of like a, a, a digital version of your classic conspiracy court board, but it's, it's, it's used for, you know, like it's a really powerful tool once you learn how to use it, which I have not quite gotten the hang of yet. Uh, but yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to, uh, What's the name of it again? Maltigo, M A L. T-E-G-O. Uh, and it is, like I said, it's an incredibly powerful tool, but it is a little confused. Like, uh, uh, I am not quite past that learning curve yet. Um, but yeah, uh, that's one of the things, you know, while I was bedridden most of the year, I was trying to read up more on open source intelligence because I do, I, I want to, what do you call it? Add value. I want to add value to my research. It's you know, it's great if you can memorize a bunch of facts, but it's better if you can find new connections, you know, oh, yeah. add and something it's, new it's, there's a, there's a that's not already there. There's a real absence. That's what I was trying to say about people, uh, researchers seem to be getting more reflexive because there's, we need a meta narrative, even if it's a false one. So it can kind of advance the thinking about it. Because otherwise, you're just going to get so bogged down in the details. Right, you know? yeah. But what's yeah. the larger significance of it during this period of time? You know, that kind of thing. Why, why are we not hearing serial killer anymore? You know, why are right, we not? Yeah. Not, yeah. It is kind of weird, you know, uh, not to go to a tinfoil hat, but isn't it weird how serial killers uh, dropped out of re relevance around the same time as school shootings started? Oh yeah, totally. What the hey, you know, totally. like totally. it could completely be a coincidence. I'm not going to say that there's any anything nefarious about that, but it is kind of a weird thing that they yeah. stopped talking about serial killers as soon as the school shooters started. Yeah, yeah. And then the the cultural implications of that beyond you know who's pulling what strings. Right. Yeah. Exactly. What does this, Whether... this do to our psyche? What does this do to mm -hmm. our sense of safety and our, our children and all that? Right, exactly, because with the serial killer narrative, uh, they're both narratives that inspire fear, but one, it's this abstract, it's this 
creepy guy lurking in a corner, you know, the guy with the oh, yeah. birth control glasses who's, yeah. you know, got a got a temple with, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer style, you know, yeah. uh, human skulls and things. And that's scary. That is scary yeah. stuff. There's this creepy clown who does children's birthdays and he's got bodies buried under. But there's something even more disturbing and frightening about, no, it's just your kid's classmate. And right. he's going to come in one day and he's going to blow everybody away. That's kind of scarier in a and, sense and the, and the, than the, yeah. the evolution of that. You know, what what's going on psychologically you get from one to the other. And then the former one becomes the stuff of uh, of art. You know, mm -hmm. the, the serial killer now has become this sort of artistic thing. Right. <laughs> it's really it's pretty fascinating. Phil, this has been great. Um, oh, absolutely. I want to thank you very much. And uh, I'm sure you'll get a reader or two out of this. And we look <laughs> forward to seeing uh, seeing what you come up with next. Oh, definitely. Hey, it's it really has. It's been a pleasure and honor. And, and I, I got to say, the last few interviews I've done, I hate to admit it, but the last few interviews I've done, I kind of like that it's been about 50-50. We talk about the book and the other 50%, we kind of go off on a tangent because, like I said, it's important stuff. Don't get me wrong. But, boy, howdy, sometimes you just need to take a break from that topic. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Uh, one other thing that I'd like to say, anybody who is interested in checking out the book, uh, you know, it's it's tough times. Uh, and, you know, uh, you can get it at, at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, Books Million, all these different places. You can get it in an ebook, You can get it in paperback. But even $4.99 for an ebook at Lulu is sometimes more than you can afford. Um philfairbanks.com or kafkaguy at gmail.com uh, like as in Franz Kafka kafkaguy at gmail.com or go to philfairbanks.com and uh, find my contact info there um, if you want a copy uh, drop me a line I will send you a copy um, you know I, I would love to sell some books that's you know uh, I'm a professional writer I'm supposed to sell books but at the same time it is. It's a. Uh, it, it's. I, I wanted this to be the kind of book that it'll appeal to somebody like you or me who knows about this kind of stuff, but it's not so off the wall. And you know, a third to a quarter of it is the bibliography, and yeah. it's not Breitbart and Alex Jones, guys. It's it's no, you right. know, it's FOIA documents and what are generally considered to be credible sources. So I wanted to be the kind of book that, uh, you know, you can share with your friend who doesn't, uh, who thinks all this stuff is bunk. Well, you know, uh, give them a copy of this and see what, see what they think. Maybe, you know, may, may change their mind on at least a few of the uh, subjects. Very good. Well, thank you so, so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you for joining us. For more information, you can find us at resistancerecovery.com.